Real quick, I want to take 30 seconds to plug another podcast that we produce on this platform, and that is Unnecessary Scruffness, a sports podcast hosted by me, Taylor, and our good buddy and sports aficionado, Michael Wally Wallwepper. We're dropping episodes every Monday, just like Two Bros and a Bra, at the same exact time. So for all weekly sports news, updates, and interviews, make sure to check out Unnecessary Scruffness. Now, back to the episode. Welcome to Two Bros and a Bra. This week's guest is an actor, comedian, and writer whose credits include The Other Guys, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Angry Birds, The Pete Holmes Show, Conan, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and much more. He is a former writer for the WWE and an alumni of the famed Upright Citizens Brigade, an improv and sketch comedy group that has produced many notable figures such as Amy Poehler, Adam McKay, Aubrey Plaza, Ellie Kemper, Nick Kroll, Jordan Klepper, Ben Schwartz, and Donald Glover. His new show, How We Roll, is airing Thursdays on CBS. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt McCarthy. Hey. Hello. Love the love, love the Zoom picture. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Joe and Charlie, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like the setup as oh, well. Man. Is, is yeah, that a? Are heck? those comics or movies in the back there on the shelf? Guns and Roses p- poster. These are uh, movies. I got a lot of videos in my office here. Okay, Whoa. nice. Quite the collection. We have gotten out backgrounded here. Yes, absolutely. Is- yeah, ours is in the works. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's gone through. Yeah, what we got. Oh my! Oh gosh. wow! <laughs> oh wow! Is- comics are there. Yeah, that's the rest. A lot more of the movies. There's more over there. That is awesome. Whoa. Incredible. Is well, awesome. we talk about a lot of movies here. We might have to bring that up at some point. Yes. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thank you for it. having me. Um, so I guess we'll get into it. Um, so right now you're on How We Roll on CBS, uh, yes. which stars a friend of yours, Pete Holmes. Yes. Who you just so happen to be roommates with for several years. Uh, I was wondering... I, how many years were you guys roommates? And you got to have some stories to tell about that. Uh, we were, Pete and I were roommates um, for about uh, 10 years from 2007 to 2008. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait. <laughs> Else yeah, I was that? like, oh, okay. <laughs> we're, we're a little slow. <laughs> that wasn't a delay. We're just a little slow. <laughs> That's fine. Math jokes. They're always my favorite. Uh, yeah, we lived together for a little over a year. Uh, this would have been... It's funny when he was doing Crashing and they got picked up for season two, I, I texted him. I was like, season two, the year you moved in with me. <laughs> um because that it was it was um i mean the the really what it was is we'd done our first job together uh we both booked our first commercial um for Sears diehard car batteries and first time either of us were in LA um they flew us out here and then we knew each other from doing stand up but then that was uh, such a bonding experience. And then 
his marriage broke up not soon after that. And I was looking, ran into him just randomly in the Lower East Side. And I was talking about, I was living way out in Queens. And I was like, I was saying to my friend, I was like, I need to get something closer to the city. And then ran into Pete and he's like, I'm looking for an apartment. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. Because <laughs> after the Sears commercials, we had really realized how well we worked together and we loved the dynamic that you know uh it, it was it was as, as simple as as it could be we were terminals in a car battery he was the positive terminal and, I was the <laughs> negative terminal. and we have uh gone on to repeat that dynamic in everything we've ever done Man. we're like this works let's just do this <laughs> Um, do you do you see yourself as the good roommate? Was he the good roommate? What's the what's the situation like there? Um, look, everyone has a part. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was I was a great roommate. Um, and Pete was a great roommate. I mean, it was it was it was it was a it was a great uh, dynamic. And and we worked we were working together quite a bit at the time too, so it, it made things easier in that respect as well. Um, mostly, uh, my only complaint would be uh, the amount of times I was in my room and I heard him yelling into uh, the Xbox. Either he was playing. <laughs> strangers remotely or <laughs> Thomas Middleditch was over and they were screaming at each other playing Call of Duty and I was just <laughs> like I can't right. wow <laughs> I can't yeah. deal with I this I love Thomas Middleditch that's awesome We've got some neighbors the like TV that. stars are just like us <laughs> yeah they are right. <laughs> they're just like Taylor's younger brother yeah this is me and my he was a real brother. yeah he, Thomas was a real video game bully and anytime I would get in on Call of Duty I was not nearly as good as either of them but even a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. <laughs> and any time that I would kill Thomas uh, in Call of Duty, it made him so angry. It was wonderful. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was good times. It was it was a lot of video games and a lot of these movies were. And it's funny when I moved out, uh, it was Pete's TV. It was Pete's TV. You know, like IKEA thing the the bookcase whatever the, <laughs> entertainment, the center. entertainment entertainment center yes but then all of my movies were in it so then when i moved out it was just this tv with these empty shelves <laughs> <laughs> but i was i i said this to pete later i was like i um i felt um i don't know bad i felt this odd um responsibility i was like because i was like his first you know, it's odd to say, but like his first, you know, real relationship after his divorce. So when I moved out, I felt I I was worried that I was, you know, it wasn't like we were breaking up, but I was yeah. like, yeah. you know, I feel bad. I'm kind of leaving this guy right. on his yeah. own again um, type of thing. But um, he, he we both got over it very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, are, you guys went on to work together for many years after that yeah. point right uh i mean you did you write for the pete holmes show is that correct i did yes yeah yeah and then 
what was he the did he kind of give you a call when uh, how we roll uh, got got kind of green lit? He's like you you know old roommates. Let's let's get back in the saddle here. Come on, CBS. Um, there was I mean, I, the the Pete Holmes show itself was um, so it was it was as they say. Well, not they, just Charles Dickens. Uh, <laughs> it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. And I came away from it with a real bad taste in my mouth. Uh, but I can I can honestly look back and see what where my head was at and where I was at in my personal life. And uh, but the long and short of it is, is after that show, like I said to him, I was like, I really have no interest in us working together anymore. Um, and during that conversation, I knew that he was developing something and I knew Judd Apatow was involved. Obviously that wound up becoming crashing and I don't know what my involvement would have been in that. Um, uh, but I know that in that conversation, he was like, you know, that really makes me sad because I'm working on something that I want you to be a part of. And I was like, basically, thanks, but no thanks. Mm. Um, and then we slowly repaired that friendship through just really just working on, well, I can't speak for him, but I, working on myself. Mm. Um, and the real, the moment that it was, maybe it was his 40th birthday. I don't know what birthday party it was, but uh, it was a surprise party. And I was like, you know, I was invited and I was like, I feel like I'm in a place where, I feel comfortable going. And when we all jumped out, it was at his house. And when we all jumped out behind the furniture, I mean, he was surprised. But when he saw me, like he was clearly just shocked and <laughs> and, and I and and touched, you know, and it meant a lot for both of us. Yeah. How, how many years were you guys kind of not on speaking um, terms or a this, little? This might have been. Maybe two years, maybe something like that, where it was a little like, you know, uh, I just had my own stuff I needed to work out, really. Yeah. And then with how we roll is very much, you know, it's not Pete's show. You know, he's not writing it or producing it, um, but they wanted look. All we knew that it, all all we knew that it was going to be was a pilot presentation, and and the, these things are in, you know, Hollywood's hands. <laughs> and the audition came, and I didn't know that Pete was involved until I booked the job and I saw the call sheet. Oh wow! Um, because it's one of those things where, especially something with like a network sitcom there are so many factors and so many people making decisions that it would be almost cruel to say to someone, Hey, I'm on this show. And they asked me who are some people that you enjoy working with, because we want to kind of populate this world with other funny people. Um, so I don't know how many people, probably a lot because it's, you know, pilot season and people get auditions, but I was just one of probably many and that was it. I, my name was on a list 
and I got the audition for whatever reason. And this was obviously, you know, during, you know, uh, quite maybe vaccines were starting to roll in. I don't know that I was necessarily in the group that could get it yet. I, I can't think of the timeline, but all that to say is that the audition was at home, mm. you know, tape it on your phone and send in the file. And for whatever reason, um, as discouraging as that process continually was of just taping myself in my house and sending it in that for whatever reason, uh, I just, I got this audition. I thought, why don't I just try as hard as I can with this one? I don't know why I couldn't tell you why, but I was just like, that's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to put down something I could be proud of. I think I was sick of just taping it once and being like yeah it's good enough i don't care um and so it really worked (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's easy especially being you know in lockdown and just feeling discouraged and down and just you know when is this going to be over and so i went to my wife and she's an incredible uh collaborator and such a great director and i was like will you help run these lines with me And she helped me so much like working out and it wasn't, I didn't even audition for the part that I play on the show. It was, um, gosh, I guess it wasn't even in the pilot. You, there was a scene we shot where you see Tom Smallwood, Pete's character get fired. Right. And so that's what I auditioned to do was the guy who fires him. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) And there was, um, so I did the audition and it was great. And I was just, you know, you have to have this mentality of, you know, you do the work, you leave the results. So I was like, look, if they don't like what I did, I did such a good job on it that I don't care. I'm happy with myself. I'm mm-hmm. satisfied with what I did. And then I wound up booking the pilot. And then when I went into the pilot, I was like, I just want to have a good scene because I, I I didn't wind up playing the boss. I was just a guy at the bowling alley. Yeah. Um, because apparently they liked me enough that they were like, well, it's a smaller part, but if this thing goes to series, if he plays this guy at the bowling alley, he could come back potentially, mm. um, which is subsequently what wound up happening. But that's all it was. I went into the pilot just being like, I just want to, have a good scene. And I had one line and I was like, I just want to knock the crap out of this line. And you did. And I did. And I did. Yeah. yeah. You did. (laughs) And then I didn't, (laughs) and then I didn't care if, you know, it went to series. That'd be nice. But I'm like, you can't expect anything, um, especially in this business, but in life in general, that's usually a good rule. And then, you know, the thing went to series and I was like, okay, let's just see what happens now. And, um, but yeah, so there was a Pete put my name in there, but you know, I, I get to have that gratitude of like, well, I had to, you know, I had to get the job and, and continue to get, cause even after the pilot was booked, I mean, like most of the people in the pilot were replaced by the time we went to series. And mm-hmm. there was even a point when a friend of mine, uh, he called me up and he's like, hey, hey, I just got an audition for that show you're going to be on. I was like, oh, that's awesome. For what character? He's like, Carl. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> 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 
you know, so then and even once we were shooting, it was like, you know, there are people who were in the cast and then I'm a co-star and I didn't even know if I was going to be there the next week. I was always waiting wow. here like, are you guys shooting next week? Am I going to be here? Yeah. Wow. That'd be awesome. Just let me yeah. know. So, yeah. Yeah. Let me. I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. Um, I actually I wanted to just ask a kind of a follow up. In, in your career, like, has that just been a lot of how these things work? You just have to be ready, do the best you can at your work, and just hope for the oh, see, where it, see where it goes? Or has there been a lot of, has there been, there's probably been a few sure things, but, you know, is it, that's probably the exception, not the rule. Well, it's, um, I forget who said it. I wish I could uh, give credit, but there was someone obviously in show business, maybe Bob Hope. I don't know. But somebody said, you know, um, the key to success is being in the right place at the right time, but it takes a lot of hard work being in those right mm. places at those right times. Right. Um, because nobody knows, you know, William Goldman put it best. He's like, nobody knows anything in show business. <laughs> nobody knows anything. And, you don't know what is going to be what or what's going to work. But there was what what your question makes me think of is I performed on a lot like. God, over 30, 30 plus um, sketches on Conan. And that was always a situation where it's like my favorite thing to do, because it would always be a call the day before and they would just say, are you available tomorrow? Or sometimes it would wow. even be, are you available this afternoon? <laughs> That's terrifying. Wow, that is terrifying. And my favorite part of it would be showing up, going to the green room and whoever was the first person I saw, if it was the costume person or the, you know, the stage manager, whoever it was would always ask me, do you know what you're doing today? And I would say no. <laughs> and that was the excitement of it, of just being given a costume or a script and you get to rehearse it once or twice. And then like once you're on the show, like in front of the audience or if it's a pre-tape, it's even easier. But like I did a lot of the, you know, in the middle of Conan's monologue, the guy in the audience like, uh, Conan, yeah, I have a question like that. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yeah, those are so funny. Yes. Yes. But um, th once you were on the show, it was easy, especially being around the audience. What was uh, the, the pressure was during the dress rehearsal with Conan and Andy when stuff was getting approved or cut mm. and you're just performing it for the staff and for Conan and he decides in that moment whether it's going to go or not Oof. and <laughs> but i face. was huh he to has to say no to your face or yeah yes I or would, no to i would your be face. absolutely terrified but like matt well, you're not bringing it today get out of here sorry. we'll find someone else <laughs> well i you know i don't know if conan knows my actual name i, I know he's you know, we've been introduced a thousand times and he knows my face. If you saw me, he'd right. be like, hey, oh, what's going on? Um, that was a great impression, by <laughs> the way. That sounded really just good. like Conan. <laughs> that was incredible. <laughs> but his nickname for me was uh, Money in the Bank. Nice. That's what he would call me. Because he's like, oh, Money in the Bank. Let's the writers, go. they know. 
They bring you in. It's money in the bank. This thing's going to air. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. That's so nice. That's awesome. That I know. Awesome. Conan always seemed like such a cool dude. He does. You know, sitting on the couch, you don't really know, but he always just <laughs> yeah. seemed like a cool guy. Yeah. Yeah. Good vibes from Conan. Absolutely. So that would be cool, like the heat of the moment performance, right? Like it's not over-rehearsed. You're just in there, and it probably right. made it funnier, right? Because you're Absolutely. not overthinking it. It's just like your natural comedic instincts are on display that night. Yeah, that I have a couple of friends, a lot of friends, but uh, that are TV writers. and But I have one in particular that was telling me about just some, I don't even know what channel is on, uh, like a Disney Channel type show. Um, but a couple of comedians I came up with right on it. And, and one of them ran the show and whatnot. And he was telling me about one time uh, when, cause when, when you write it, you kind of produce it as well on this particular show. And he said, uh, I was like, how often, I don't know how it came up, but I was like, how often do you rehearse? And he's like, ah, we do it like twice. And then we shoot it. And I was like, that's great. He's like, yeah, this other guy, you know, so-and-so that we came up with, he would brag about how often they would rehearse. He's like, they would rehearse it like 10, 11, 12 times. And I was like, that's the worst thing I've ever heard in my life because it's like, uh, that you've squeezed all, in, my, in, in my perspective, you've squeezed all the life out of it. Um, because I love that. Um, and that's, that's what's fun about the multicam sitcom is, there is room to breathe. I mean, there's the script and let's get it down the way that it's written. But especially, especially if Pete and I are there together, there is room to find something else uh, or at least, you know, I mean, I do, I, I do a lot of commercials and commercials. I love because you're there all day. And the the mentality because with a multicam, with with Conan, you get one shot, and so there's that excitement of like, all right, we got one shot, let's knock it out. With the multicam, we've we've got a certain slice of time, but we don't necessarily know when we're about to be done, and there's kind of a guessing of like, feels like we've done it enough times, scripted. Maybe we can mess around now, throw in some ad libs. Um, but with a commercial, you're there all day for, you know, eight hours and Jeez. they know they have you for the time and you're going to do it from every different angle, every conceivable thing over and over and over. And the nature, at least the things that I book, they are looking for ad libbing and improv improvisation. And it's, I love that, that you could do it different every single time and find something new each time. It's my favorite kind of performing, you know. So is it's that your good. like favorite kind of role to play, just the funny guy? I, I yes, I mean yes, that's that's what I'm um, most comfortable with, and that's what I you know have always worked, um, gotten most work from doing. But I don't know that. I once heard Dustin Hoffman say that there, there, there is no comedy, there is no drama, there's only acting. Mm. And that made so much sense to me at the time that I heard it. Cause I was like, yeah, because anytime that, at least for me, that I'm trying to be funny, um, it may very well be funny, but it's the times that I'm being honest and real 
that get the biggest laughs. Like I remember I, a, a day job I had where like I would answer a lot of phones and every time I would get like really upset when I would hang up the phone, all my coworkers in the cube would like, they would burst out laughing. Like they were <laughs> stifling and holding it in and they were just like, Matt, we know you're upset right now, but you're so funny when you're angry. <laughs> so I guess you know? what you're saying, what you're alluding to is that it, that's a great quote from Dustin Hoffman because acting really is, just self-expression, right? So say you were in a drama, you may yeah. come off as funny because you are a naturally funny person if you are reflecting right. yourself into the role. I think that's what you're speaking to is that you don't necessarily search to be the funny guy. You just are a funny guy. So no matter what role you took on, you would probably give off that energy. Kind of like like Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting. Like it's like that is a he is a comedian. He took on that role. He brought a comedic energy, but he was a dramatic character. Absolutely. You know, now that I think about it, I think what Hoffman might have said was, there is no comedy, there's no drama, there's only life. Yeah, I think that's yeah, what he yeah. said. Um, and, be, and yeah, to your point, I mean, my favorites have always and still are, you know, John Candy, John Belushi, um, Madeline Kahn, um, but, and these are people that are so funny, but they would, God, I didn't even realize they're all dead. Uh, but they would play it so honestly, mm. you know, and then that's what was, I mean, ultimately it just comes down to likability. <laughs> You know, like Red Fox said, you can say anything on stage and it'll be funny if you're likable. Right. Um, but yeah, 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 absolutely. So do you use some of your stand up techniques like when you're acting to like come off as like, like your delivery? Yeah. Uh, I, I do because I don't I don't know how to do I, I feel like I only know how to do one thing and whether it's writing or stand up or acting it's I'm, I'm it's just the one thing you know um so i guess it's just it's just performing or just i guess that's the word for it right <laughs> um but yeah it's just that's the i guess that's the approach is i'm just what is what am i trying to say here what is the point of this like anytime i get an audition put it this way uh, if I read it once and I understand what's happening, um, nine times out of 10, I book the job. If I read it and, and usually like a commercial or like if it's just a piece of a, of a script and I read it, I'm like, I don't understand what this is or what the point of this is. Uh, I can't bring anything to it, you know, cause I don't know what, yeah. I don't know what's happening. I don't yeah. know what's being said. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So when I do stand up, it is just a. I'm trying to connect with the audience. Um, and there was a, uh, uh, a comedian, uh, I knew, well, I guess I still know him, but when I was starting Jim Adrinos, uh, he told me, remember that comedy's a standup is a dialogue. It's not a monologue. Like stop talking, like stop talking at the people and reciting and actually you're having a conversation with them. Um, and I think I brought that into, every job I've ever had because it's, it's, there's, 
if I'm if, if, put it this way, if I haven't memorized my lines, then I'm going to be stiff. And if I'm stiff, I'm just trying to recite my lines and remember what they were. Uh, and then I can't bring any emotion to what I'm doing. And the emotions, what makes it interesting, you know, absolutely. So it's, it, that's the only time I enjoy rehearsing just to get the stiffness out and be like, okay, what are we doing? Where am I walking? Mm. Okay. I don't want to do it too. Like I, I did, I did a job once where, um, God, what, what the hell were we selling? It was a commercial. I don't remember what it was, but, um, one of the other actors, like when we ran through it, I would just kind of say the lines and stand where I was supposed to stand. But then once we started shooting is when I started really doing it. And I didn't, I couldn't put a name to what I was doing until he goes, Oh, you've been saving it. <laughs> and I was like, Oh yeah, I guess that is what I'm doing. I'm like, I, and I was also kind of like, stop talking to me. You know? <laughs> I was like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not saving anything. I'm just like, why would I, yeah. you know, try my hardest on a rehearsal? It's like, like I, I'm all, anytime we're doing something, I'm always like, can we shoot the rehearsal? Because we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, yeah that's good absolutely that's good yeah do you think that i mean i it obviously it, it's it has to come somewhat from your experience with the upright citizens brigade like just the you're around a group of people that are just wired that way right i mean like just and it play you play off one another and you know just yeah you know. absolutely i mean doing improv was um so beneficial for me because I just, I just wanted to be a better performer. I didn't know, like a lot of people, you know, when UCB was really at its height, um, the end goal was, I don't know what the end goal, I guess, you know, to further your acting career, but like you take the classes and then you get on a Herald team and then you perform on the Herald teams and then maybe you get in a sketch group or then maybe you get noticed by, you know, SNL or, or a million different things. Um, that was never my intention. I never wanted to be on a Herald team. I just wanted to be more comfortable performing and taking improv. Honestly, um, I had such a unique experience in my 101 class that by the time I took 201, I was like, this is still a good class. Um, you know, uh, and the teacher, Shannon O'Neill taught that and Spo was amazing and she is amazing. But by the time I got to 301, I was like, ah, I'm wasting my money. There's, I didn't need to do this because my level 101, uh, John Daly was our teacher. And this is a million trillion years ago. Um, but there was something going on. He was like, there was something going on with his apartment building and his landlord and so he had to keep missing classes. And so what that meant was, is in addition to getting him as a teacher, we would get subs every so often, which was very unusual. And um, uh, Owen, um, see, there's, there's Owen Burke and there's Owen Benjamin, and I can never remember which is which. Um, it's Owen Burke uh was um yeah he in particular 
like Charlie Todd taught one of the classes, a couple of people came in and out, but uh, when Owen taught our class uh, in particular, it was like, it was that moment where, Oh, I get this. Um, because his approach was we would start doing scenes and then uh, he would stop us and be like, no, no, no. He would just get up and go, no, 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 no. And here's why. Mm. And I'm very much like I always did better in math in school than, I don't know, English comp or whatever the, you know. Right. Because it's just like, especially like algebra, because they're like, here's how you do it. And then there's a, a an infinite number of permutations of how you can do apply this. And when he presented improvisation like that, of just the, those simple ideas of, you know, yes, and if that, then what? Like once you've established something, all you have to do is listen. Once you establish something, you can go anywhere with it. Um, and so being in scenes like that of just interacting with people and keeping you know keeping it honest and keeping it in that whatever we've established is true right now be it you know in an improv scene or in this bowling alley or you know uh, when we're Batman and Commissioner Gordon it's just like we understand what the rules are what the game is is what they would call it at UCB then you play by those rules. And that's what's make what makes it funny um, because of the, the parameters. I always love an assignment. I always love uh, stand-up shows that have like a gimmick or an assignment. I always did well um, on like uh, my friend had a, a show where it's like you read, it's supposed to be like a fake Ted talk. They do it on, <laughs> on, Gordon now um and the the teleprompter breaks but you have to keep improvising as though you knew what the, oh, nice. the thing was or um anytime there was like a uh we would do historical roast which wound up like running on netflix uh for a little bit um and it was just i would i loved having some sort of like box to be in uh, and finding all the different spaces to exist in that space. Um, so, yeah, so that's why I, I always, I, the, once, once I really absorbed like what the, the, those simple rules of improv were, I was like, Oh, this is, you could take this anywhere. I love that. Mm. Well, um, so obviously stand up comedy seems like from what I understand, a completely like different animal, because like you said earlier, it's, it's supposed to be a dialogue. And sometimes the audience just doesn't want to play along with that, you know? Yeah. And, like, I just wondered, um, and your last answer is interesting to me as well. Like, when you're doing stand-up, you kind of don't have those same parameters because you can just talk about, you know, you have your show, you know? Um, and the audience just isn't responding. Is that what's the most difficult for you, um, you know, desiring those parameters while also not having the audience buy-in. Like, I mean, how's, how's, how do you get out of that? Uh, just by acknowledging it. Um, because I, if, if I'm up there just eating it and I keep pretending that I'm not, <laughs> it's, it's going to create this like 
this tension in the room mm. that everyone can feel. Um, so like I, last night, literally last night, I did Ron Lynch's show uh, tomorrow with Ron Lynch, and it's at midnight um, at the uh, Elysium Theater here in L.A. And I show up, and I just want to tape uh, my stand-up. Like, my manager, Jessica, who's amazing, she's like, let, let, let's get a new, like, tape, maybe just submit to Late Night or something. I was like, okay, cool. So I've been taping every show that I've been on lately. And I just want like five, seven minutes. And um, I'm sitting there like thinking about my set and then see my friend, uh, uh, Chad Damiani, and he's painting his whole body red. And I'm like, what are you doing tonight? He's like, oh, I'm going to go out. And he's like, I don't really know. I'm going to go out there and do this character who's sunburned. <laughs> and he's just like painting his, his body red. And then... Um, uh, a couple other people are there and I realize everyone is doing like characters. And then I realized the poster says oh. the, str the strange show and the host goes out and, and he keeps at least 15 times. He mentioned it's going to be a strange night. It's the strange <laughs> show. And I'm like, I was just going to do like regular stand up. Should I like do something strange? <laughs> and then the other acts were like, honestly, if you just go out there and just do straight stand up, that, that would probably be strange to the audience. Be like, why is he doing this? Absolutely. And I was going first and I was like, OK, why don't I'll just go out and do I'll tape the set. And I'm, so I go out and I do the set and I just burn through. I did fine. I did fine. But it was obvious that they were wondering, like I was wondering, why am I just doing stand up? <laughs> and when I finished my chunk that i wanted to you know tape and submit i finally just was honest with them i was like i didn't know that this was a strange show <laughs> and then that got the biggest laugh of anything i said <laughs> and i was like i just wanted to tape i just wanted to submit a tape to awesome. you know the jimmies and stuff and i was like ah, you know i just i this is i was like can we dub in these laughs that i'm getting now into the act before that is awesome and so then I went backstage and uh, I was talking with my friends and stuff. And then I said to the host, I was like, you know, what would be funny is if at the very end you say we had a special drop in and there's introduced me again. And I went up and did the, the same set again and pretended like it had never happened. And so I went, I did, we did that. And I come on, I just start doing at the very end, I do the exact same set. And at first, like it's getting a huge laugh. They're like, they couldn't believe. Yeah. And then it starts to dissipate and then it's just silence. And then no. I had a moment where I'm like, I am going to commit to doing this, this material that I know is good. Like I wasn't like intentionally doing like hacky jokes. I'm like, this is, these are good jokes that I'm now going to die with because they've heard it <laughs> and i did everything exactly the same i did i did the entire routine and then i get to the end and then i just turned on them and i was like what did we just talk about i'm trying to get a tape for late nights and you people were supposed to laugh at this stuff and it was just the best it was the best because it was so um, there's nothing worse than bombing, but 
there's also nothing better because it's so real and to actually be on stage and being like allowing yourself to not get any laughs um is just put it this way like i taped both sets and i want to put it online and there is just there's something the joke the fact that there wasn't laughs is the joke ultimately and i never intended this to be my act that night or last night um but there's just something comedians are supposed to get laughs right i mean that's that's the parameter that's 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 the the box like that's that's why like comedy is so hard because it's it has to be funny that's the bottom line that's what makes it so difficult um it's easy to make an audience cry you know you just johnny carson used to talk about all the time it's like if you have a movie and just like here's a dead baby isn't that so sad (laughs) it's just every time it's 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 easy it's cheap you know it's cheap but with with comedy every audience is going to be different and it's way more subjective than what is tragic about life Mm. um like what is funny and it's going to be different to different people and so then the idea of going out there and how long can you sustain because there was i wanted to bail i wanted to because i'm up there for the second time and i'm like i'm not getting any laughs and so my instinct is to like pull the cord and the parachute and just start acknowledging it but i'm like no it will be funnier if i just keep doing this (laughs) the exact same material that they already heard and then acknowledge that they didn't laugh. And it got, it was so much funnier. It was so much more That's satisfying. Incredible. It was just, I haven't done something like that in a long time. And it really got my, you know, I was like, God, you know, it, it really felt like not just coming out of the pandemic, but coming out of like that place of, yeah, I love doing, taking a chance out there. And I think when I was young, I thought taking a chance just meant saying outrageous things. Mm. Whereas there is so much more excitement in, you know, uh, challenging convention right? of yeah. yeah, what what is expected, mm. you know, of a performer and an artist and especially a comedian. So much fun. It's mm. really good. That's some good stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. incredible. <laughs> Last night. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we didn't expect a story from that that recent. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, this is fresh right off the press. Yeah, I this think is, we're yeah. gonna be the this first is to hear literally that. hours ago. The, the show started at midnight, so it was earlier today. Oh, right, right, earlier right. today. Yeah. Nice. Um, actually, the pro wrestling. I think that's what we want to talk. Yeah, about I mean, now. you got the wrestling shirt on. We got to bring it up. Heck yeah. <laughs> So that's right. Mac, the fine folks at collar and elbow. <laughs> <laughs> so Max actually a big UFC fan, and I watched okay. a little bit of your stand-up act from a while ago. I'm not sure how long ago this was, but you talked about how you know people ask you, so you're you like you know wrestling? Why don't you like UFC? And you just said, well, those things are totally different. So um, you know, right. How why you... would I want to watch them actually hurt each other? Right, what am exactly. I, an asshole? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. exactly what you said. Yeah, we, yeah. yeah I thought that was, that was a solid point. A Absolutely. Solid point. I mean, yeah. So um, how would you get into wrestling? And then you ended up <laughs> writing. 
for the WWE. Yeah, right? that's crazy. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I had two different runs there with WWE. One was uh, in person when I was living in New York um, for about a year, uh, both writing on the home team in Stanford and traveling with them uh, from city to city for Monday Night Raw and SmackDown and the pay-per-views and quit that. Uh, this was about the time that we had done the pilot for the Pete Holmes show. Uh, I had flown out. I lied to WWE. I said I had a friend's wedding. I was actually flying out to like shoot stuff with Pete and Orn. Nice. And then uh, waited like even after I moved here, it was still like another year before we heard if the show was going to series. And it was like that is a crazy amount of time between a pilot and wow. a series. Like we were like, oh, there's no way that this is going. And so then quit WWE, moved out here, did the Pete Holmes show for uh, about a year-ish, something like that. And then WWE contacted me um, and wanted to know if uh, they, if I would consider doing consulting, if I would just stay in LA. They were like, look, you're great at this. Would you just stay in L.A., do comedy and acting, whatever it is you want to do? You don't have to come to TV. You don't have to be in the Vince meetings and get yelled at by Vince. <laughs> we'll just give you assignments every week. You write your drafts, send it to us, and then, you know, we'll take what we like and leave the rest. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's the deal I've been holding out for. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. So then I did that for two more years and probably... I mean, both runs, I had stuff that I really liked, but uh, it was such a great experience. And then, but I mean, to answer your first question, I've been a wrestling fan since before I can remember. I mean, it's truly is, I think one of my earliest memories is being in, I, I, I must've been too old to it for it to have been a crib, but like, it must have been like a bed with like a railing on it or something. A car kind of bed, maybe a race yeah, car bed. Yeah, I like because I I was sharing a. I have an older brother, and we were sharing the bedroom. And I remember we had a TV in the bedroom for uh, my brother had a Coleco Vision, and I remember waking up and my brother saying, "Matt, look, wrestling's on," mm. and Bob Backlund was like on the opening. So this was I had to have been three you know <laughs> that is and then it's always been i've never been a sports guy mm -hmm. you know i've never been big into like my friends in high school really in college and the guys i live with after college big sports fans so i was always kind of watching it around it we took my son my son's six to his first dodgers game and it awesome. was like just being back at a baseball game i was like gosh i forgot how much i enjoyed oh. this just hanging out at a baseball game yeah. but wrestling has always been like my thing mm -hmm. um and it's just it's just everything that i love about just life i mean it's just it's 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 exciting it's fun it's scary it's frustrating it's you know good versus evil it's 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 movies and comic books and comedy and and everything at once and it's just you know to boil it down it's about like the pursuit of justice it's about good triumphing over evil about the little guy fighting the big guy yeah. trying to set right what was 
once you know done wrong it's just like feels the a bit pursuit biblical. of justice <laughs> feels a bit biblical it's yeah like i mean Testament. yeah a little bit <laughs> yeah i can see why you wrote for wwe yeah. like this is like man I, that is I'm quite the highlight real monologue I'm, right there well, yeah i know yeah. for me that i had an older brother and anytime he would watch it he'd be like I saw this new move. Can I try to throw you across the living room? <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, no. Yes, you can. <laughs> These guys Show me what you got. <laughs> so did you ever, like, try them out with your brother? And oh, you like had that? to have. Had to have, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I spent a lot of afternoons, like, wrestling the cushions and the couch yes. in the basement. Oh, yeah. Um, And the kids in the neighborhood, we had, like, a... Uh, like a like a bat not because you say like a backyard wrestling and it's like it conjures up this like in the 90s these kids actually had rings and you know taped stuff we we were front yard wrestling we were just rolling around on the grass you know it, it, it doesn't feel as bad doing a pile driver on the lawn to some to your to your friend um and then i remember specifically this was at the height of um Jake the Snake Roberts and Ravishing Rick Rude had a feud over um, Ravishing Rick Rude. He was quite the ladies' man. Yes. And nice. he he decided he he really had his eye on Jake the Snake Roberts' wife, Cheryl. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and he started showing up. He would always have these airbrushed tights. Um, And one Saturday he showed up with Cheryl Roberts' face painted on the tights. And oh Jake gosh. Roberts said... Uh, stop wearing those or uh, you're going to lose them. Oh. And one, I'll never forget it as long as I live. There was one Saturday morning, Jake Roberts, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Rick Rude, he takes off his robe. He's got the Cheryl Roberts tights on. And Jake the Snake was a man of his word. He came running out and he pulled the tights <laughs> off of him. And there was like a giant blue dot over everything. And it was no. all anyone in the neighborhood could talk about <laughs> and we were like we have to reenact it oh, and no. somehow i became rick rude oh. and i got pantsed in front oh. of the whole neighborhood and Ooh. it was one of the most formative moments of my young life. <laughs> yeah truly truly that is awesome that's, that's hilarious awesome. <laughs> so uh i don't know how much you can tell me obviously you know but um, could you let us in? What's it like to be? Have you been yelled at by Vince McMahon or? Absolutely. I wow. he looks at you like he wants to bite you. Uh. <laughs> um, God, who wrote this? Four year olds. God. <laughs> God, it's so wrestling. It's the last thing we do. You have um, to raise your hand. I wrote that, that sir. Great. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I mean. Uh, he's uh, this is a genius uh, and geniuses don't understand why everyone doesn't think the way that they do. And in addition to being a genius, he's also a single minded narcissist workaholic. <laughs> Whoa. And, he, and he doesn't under, he'd be the first one to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> this is all he does. He doesn't do anything else except for think about running this wrestling company and what's the next thing? Mm. And that said, I learned quite a bit from him. Um, I mean, 
yeah, I got screamed at by him constantly. You know, ideas change. Just like, oh, God, I'm the only one thinking in the room. <laughs> I would but, cry. Um, <laughs> but one of my favorite moments was uh, when I was there for WrestleMania uh, 28. God, it's 10 years ago now. Um, in Miami, we were, uh, I was, uh, I had, you know, I was the go-to uh, comedy guy. And I would write things that I thought was funny. And Vince has a different sense of humor than I do. Vince's idea of comedy is somebody getting their foot stuck in a bucket. <laughs> um, and so I had a, uh, a little backstage that I wrote and I needed his eyes on it. And they were rehearsing. This is the middle of the day. We're in the middle of this huge stadium that's empty, which is very awesome in the truest sense of that word in and of itself. It's just like, gosh, this is what, how often... Often you get that yeah. chance of just like yeah. I'm in the middle of this football field, and they were rehearsing uh, some very elaborate entrances, and something wasn't working right. And I saw my opportunity. We're at ringside, and I and I just go into Vince, and whatever's in front of Vince is the most important thing to him. And he didn't have anything to do in that moment. Something was malfunctioning, and I go, uh, "Excuse me, sir, can I get your eyes on this?" And then suddenly that was the most important thing to him was this dumb little comedy sketch I wrote and other people started coming up with much more important things. And he's like, guys, I'll be with you in a sec. <laughs> and we went through the jokes and he had some good punches. You know, I, there was one thing like we were cross promoting with deadliest catch nice. which is on discovery channel. And he's like, well, Santino Morales should say, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to be on the discovery channel. They haven't discovered me yet. Oh. <laughs> and I remember looking at him going, God, that's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just wild to me. Like in that moment, like I looked around and I was like, it's just him and I right now. We're the, it's like we're the only two people here just at ringside at WrestleMania. And we're just going over these dumb little jokes I wrote. And I'll never forget. He goes, uh, you know, we're pushing the, the the new season of Deadliest Catch. And let's say it, it's on, you know, April 18th. And so I write in it, you know, uh, new season, April 18th. And he goes, what day of the week is April 18th? And he expected me to know. <laughs> and thank goodness I did. Just because uh, the math was easy in my head of like, well, today's, you know, the 11th. So tomorrow's the 12th. So, okay. So then, uh, so then I say, um, uh, it's a, it's a Saturday. Um, I hope that I just did that math right. And he goes, this is how you promote it. You say, you say the day of the week first. You, you say April 18th. Nobody knows when April 18th is, pal. <laughs> it's Saturday. Saturday, April 18th. I don't know why they have you write these things this way. I'm trying to teach you. Like, okay. <laughs> I don't know why you're getting mad at me, but... And and I had to, to this day when I'm promoting a show on like Twitter or any, I always put the day of the week first, right, and then the actual date because of Vince. It's it's there forever. Yeah, it's hardwired now. How could you forget yeah. Vince McMahon? <laughs> he yelled it at you. That is unbelievable. Yeah. Is, is the Vince greatest Mc... the greatest promoter of all time? Yeah, gives absolutely. Me a, a tip. Yeah. yeah. Is Vince McMahon the most starstruck you've ever been by someone, a notable celebrity? <sighs> 
It was certainly terrifying seeing it because when I first met him, it was in the elevator bank at Titan Towers. And my initial instinct was to turn around and walk the other way. But I was like, no, he saw me. <laughs> I need to keep walking forward. Um, the most starstruck I've ever been. There was, um, I mean, when I was at the airport, just seeing Vicky Guerrero, who's not, you know, she was just uh, like uh, Eddie Guerrero's widow. She became like a manager and a GM. And there was nothing about her that was like larger than life. It was just it was the first person I saw that I only knew from TV in real life. And I was just like, this doesn't compute. And it was in that moment I was like, Matt, if you're going to be like freezing up over Vicky Guerrero, you're not going to be able to exist in this job. <laughs> Eventually you're going to meet John Cena and The Rock and Big Show. And it's just like, you're not going to be able to function. So there was something that I switched off in my head in that moment. Um, but as far as like, in other areas of my career, I got to meet uh, John Cleese and Eric Idle from wow. Monty Python oh backstage at Conan. That is incredible. Oh and oh. I had just finished performing my character, whatever I was doing that week, and they were the first guests up. So I crossed paths with them backstage and I, oh, Mr. Cleese, I uh, just want to shake your hand. I'm, I'm a big fan. And Eric Idle, I go, oh, Mr. Idle, I just, just want to say hi. And he goes, oh, yes. Gosh, you're very funny. And I was like, put me in the box. And there wow. you know. Call it a life. Oh that was, that's gosh. it. Dude, Not going to get better done. than that. Take wow. a knee the rest of the game, you know? <laughs> Taking knees on the way like, out. Done. Absolutely done. Well, I yeah. guess we can uh, wrap this up on this question then. You mentioned John Cleese just now. Uh, a complete comedic legend, Okay. Yeah. Um, what comedian or just anyone has influenced you in your career the most, or who is who is who's your your guy or gal? Uh, yeah, or or girl. Of don't. course, I say guy. No, it, it, yeah. it, 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 I say guy, it's a gender neutral sense. guy. Yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I don't know that I have one in particular. I mean, Madeline Kahn, I think is my favorite uh actor uh she was just so brilliant at just being funny and so real and like even when she was being someone you didn't like and saying something you didn't like you were still drawn to her and she was just so downright funny and just grounded um, and like I said before, John Candy and John Belushi, I've always been drawn to, but even like since our, our since we've had, uh, uh, you know, our, our son and been rewatching a lot of Sesame street, um, and we tried watching the new Sesame street and it's just like, it's just not the same. It's yeah. terrible. Same. Yeah. It's like animated yeah. and stuff. That sucks. It didn't Can't grab him. And it's not a lot of educational stuff and it's like a half hour. So me being the physical media nut that I am, I'm like, I'm going to get my hands on some old Sesame Streets from when we were kids. 
And watching those, it really dawned on me how much Jim Henson and the Muppets and particularly Sesame Street had an influence on my sense of humor and my sense of timing. And that show is so funny. And I think it's funnier than the Muppet show and the Muppet show is good, but there's a lot of shtick. Whereas Sesame Street, there is a lot of that sensibility of seeing what works in the moment. And there's clearly a lot of ad-libbing happening between the performers. And especially if, you know, the Muppets are talking to small children, mm. they have to be able to think on their feet and that, and it comes across how genuine it is. Yeah. And in particular, um, Maria, who was, you know, one of the, the people, regular people that lived on Sesame street, I, I realized how much of an influence she had on my performing and my sense of, of comedy and the subtlety that she brought to it. Um, there's one sketch in particular where uh, Harry, the monster, is combing his hair and he can't reach the back of his hair. So she takes the comb and combs it for him. And then he looks nice and she goes and he and then Harry says, uh, OK, Maria, now I'm going to comb your hair. And there's just this moment where she just like does like a quick take to the camera where she just like. And it is one of the funniest things. And it has stuck with me for decades. And I'm like, that is so the type of comedy that I'm drawn to and try my best to emulate and, you know, be a part of, um, but yeah, absolutely. It's 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 got to be. It's got to be like you know, Maria from Sesame Street, Madeline Kahn, John Candy, John Belushi. Uh, yeah, that's for great. Sure. That's, that's great. great. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a great mix right there. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Matt, we really appreciate you coming on, um, and you were a joy to talk to. We'd love to talk to you again at some point as well. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I would love it. And I don't want to. I don't want to skimp you out. If there's anything else you want to promote or say, I know you got a show. We talked about how we roll. Uh, you have a, a we podcast wrestling. about wrestling, right? We watch wrestling, correct? Yeah, yeah I, don't wanna... I got uh, the We Watch Wrestling podcast. I do that with uh, my my best friend Vince Averill. Um, of if there's any murderinos out there of my favorite murder fame, him and uh, Georgia Hart Stark are married, and uh, Vince comes up quite a bit on that show. Um, and we do wrestling, we're lifelong fans and, you know, we're going to be, we were just at WrestleMania. We're going to be going to, uh, Chicago. Um, uh, I guess Vegas is first. We're going to be going to Vegas for double or nothing. Um, doing a live show there at the nerd 3 PM. Um, and then I do a podcast with my beautiful and talented wife, Glennis called watch it with Matt and Glennis, where we talk about TV movies, TikTok, anything that we've been watching. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm McCarthy redhead on all forms of social media. I'm most active on TikTok, Instagram, and, uh, yeah, I got a couple of comedy CDs on wherever you listen to digital music, wherever you stream or download, check it out. Sweet. All right. Well, thank you very thank much. You. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. This was fun.